Welcome to the Ask Zach Show. I'm your host, Zach Childs. I've spent the last 30 years working in the music industry here in Nashville, Tennessee, during which I've done everything from touring with major artists like Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood to playing the nastiest dive bars or even the occasional wedding. This show is all about barreling down the rabbit hole on all things guitar and the music we love. We will cover the legendary players, gear insights, and even some interviews along the way. I hope you enjoy. To support the show, follow the links in the description to find out about my Patreon page. Or go to my store at AskZach.com to pick up a coffee mug or t-shirt. Now, let's dive in. friends and welcome to another Ask Zach. I hope you're doing well. Uh, you know, just having fun doing a little uh, a little chicken picking on an old uh, Jimmy Bryant tune. Jimmy Bryant wrote that called Only Daddy That'll, That'll, Only Daddy That'll Walk the Line. Of course it was a hit for Waylon Jennings but other people recorded it and uh, Wayne Moss played the guitar solo on that on a uh, on a jazz master and uh and I think uh, Marty Stewart owns that guitar now. But uh, yeah, Wayne Moss, that's a guitar player you ought to look up. So I uh, played on some Dylan stuff and, uh, you know, was part of the Nashville Cats. And uh, yeah. So today we're going to talk about the vintage mystique or the antique mystique. And uh, and uh, we're going to have fun. We're going to do a little, uh, I hate to say myth busting, but... You know, this all comes from a phone call that a, a friend, you know, made to me. And I, I just kind of want to address the whole vintage thing, vintage and boutique, vintage versus modern. I want to have my take on that. But first, while you're thinking about it, please go down in the corner and hit subscribe uh, if you've been enjoying the show. And if you've subscribed already and, uh, you know, and you want to support the show, we'll go to AskZach.com. You can go to the store and pick up one of these fun T-shirts or a mug or a hat. Or there's a tip jar information down there. So uh, please do that, and that's what keeps the show going. So the vintage mystique. Um, about two weeks ago, a good friend of mine that works in the musical instrument, you know, kind of industry, he called me up and he said, uh, you know, he said, I'm, I think I'm going to sell to him, you know, one of my boutique amps and a boutique a guitar and I really want to get I want something vintage I want I want a vintage guitar and part of me thought oh that's cool but part of me thought kind of like well what's going on here you know why is it that he has these you know 
you know, great guitar and an amplifier, that he's just wanting something vintage. And so it made me really kind of analyze, you know, my thoughts on vintage. Obviously, I like vintage stuff, and I like modern stuff. So, I mean, this is my 67 Tele that I've had for about a decade. And, uh, you know, of course, I have vintage amps, but I also have a lot of boutique stuff. I have Danocaster and Bill Crook and... You know, I've got new and old pedals and all sorts of stuff. I don't think of myself as a vintage snob, but maybe some of you do think of me that way. But I think if you've watched the show, you've seen that I use the, you know, boutique guitars as much or more than I use even my vintage one. So here are my thoughts on, you know, the the vintage mystique or the antique mystique. So first off you have this sense of nostalgia and you have this sense of romanticism and because you think of vintage guitars as being the guitars that your heroes played and uh yeah and and they're old and they're expensive and so automatically they're seen as being better you know and part of this is propagated by the major collectors and the uh, the dealers of vintage guitars because it's there to advantage for them to have more mystique attached to them and also to continue to push up you know the value of them you know one of the things i want you the viewer to understand is that when you're buying new guitars or boutique guitars there's a certain amount of with consumerism, there's not a lot of rationalism, but there's still a little bit more rationalism when it comes to buying new guitars and amps and such. But when you enter the vintage guitar world, you are entering the collectible marketplace. And in the collectible marketplace, it is very volatile, and it is driven by emotion and driven by fads. And, and in, in a sense, everything is. But, you know... Vintage guitar prices can go all over the place and things can go up in value drastically. And if there's an economic downturn, probably one of the first things, well, actually one of the first things to get hurt in an economic downturn is collectibles. So that's why, you know, the last big economic downturn, a lot of vintage guitars lost 40 to 50% of their value overnight. And it took a long time for them to recover. And part of that recovery was pushed by, you know, dealers and uh, and collectors that want their stock to be worth more money, you know. And there's I have no problem with dealers and collectors, and you know that's that's their business. But if you're going to get into the vintage guitars, you need to understand that this is part of it. You know, just walk in with your eyes open. So. This is, you know, my 67 Tele, and frankly, the only reason I could afford this guitar was because of the last economic downturn. And so, you know, I was able to get this guitar, and I don't really like to talk about what I paid for stuff, but, you know, I got this, this guitar for $4,000. So, and this is, you know, pretty much all original. You know, the, you know, the only thing that's not is like the, uh, the output jack cup. So on it, it has a, uh, if you look here, it's got a rudders, you know, jack on there because someone had actually put a big Gibson kind with four big screws on it. And so, but otherwise it's an original guitar. 
So now, so 10 years later, these guitars are selling for eight to 10 grand in this same condition. And it's like, and part of me is like, oh, that's kind of cool, but also it's kind of crazy too. And frankly, it makes me less comfortable playing this guitar and taking it out because when this guitar was a $4,000 guitar, you know, I would take it out on the road and I would play it. And if I was, even if I was in town, if I was doing a rehearsal or something like that, I could leave it in my trunk and I'd probably still try to park someplace where I could see my car if I was eating, you know, stopping to eat someplace, but I wouldn't be freaked out about it. Well, the last time, you know, this was two, three years ago, I did some, some road dates with a friend of mine and I took this guitar and I couldn't take my eyes off of it the whole time. So every time we would take a break, you know, I had one eye on this guitar because it was sitting on, on the stage on a guitar stand up there that anyone could just hop up there and grab it. And frankly, it made me less comfortable and it just made for the, you know, the break that we had, it made me, I just wanted the break to be over. You know, I wasn't even able to enjoy my break, you know, and I'll just echo this. I recently interviewed Pete Anderson and Pete Anderson was talking about taking his 59 Strat to a club and uh, he said, there's a $30,000 guitar that's sitting on a guitar stand. And he said, I didn't feel like I could, you know, walk away from it hardly. And he, so he stopped playing it and he started playing uh, music craft, you know, guitars that he put together, you know, with parts and had Mark Jenny, you know, finish for him. So, yeah. So there's part of the vintage thing that also makes it to where, because of the value that's kind of been pushed up by the people in control of the market, uh, it makes it to where these guitars are in some way less fun to play. The funny thing is, is that guitar vintage amps have not gone up in value. So, you know, a blackface, you know, deluxe reverb is still in the two to 3000 range. And that's what it's been for like 20 years. Now, you know, if you go back to the nineties, you know, these were, you know, probably a thousand dollars or less. But, you know, for the last 20 years, since, you know, around 2000, you know, these amps have kind of been in the same, you know, price range and that, which is still in the same price range as a boutique. And so that's why it's like, well, I like vintage amps and it's like, I don't sweat, you know, a deluxe reverb, you know, I've got two of them and, you know, I, I take them on gigs and I don't think twice about it. It's like, I can find another one, you know, they're, they're under $3,000 in, you know, in value. And it's like, I, I don't sweat it. So that's a big part of the vintage guitar thing. And so I, you, you need to know that there's this aspect of it's not as much fun to go around and play because you have a guitar that's worth a lot of money and you start sweating it and you start thinking about the guitar and obsessing over it. And I've even had guys that had, you know, really expensive vintage guitars like a Burst that I mean, they took it with them, you know, took, they took it with them into the restaurant that we ate at, you know, because they couldn't let it leave their side at any point. Because again, then you're talking about a guitar that's worth $100,000. So let's, let's talk about some of the positive things, you know, about, about vintage guitars and something that I will say that they do have. And there is something about old wood. I know I just did an episode on um, how wood affects tone and I had some flat earthers respond that, uh, woods don't affect tone and uh, I'm just going to 
I'm sorry, I do not agree with that at all. And if you want to comment below, that's great. Uh, wood does make a difference. And old wood makes a difference too. And so, and it's not just the old wood, it's the fact that the old wood has been a neck for a long time. So let's say you found some 100-year-old piece of pine and you made a guitar out of it. Well, that's that's good, but what's actually, you know, what, what actually makes the most difference is when you have a piece of wood that has been a guitar neck and it's been under tension and it's been finished and it's been that way for 50 years, there's something about it. And there's something about it where the wood almost becomes like, for lack of better terms, it almost starts to become like fossilized. And those, those old maple necks, like on 50s Telecasters and stuff, those necks, they seem like, they seem super stiff and they, they seem harder than the than than new guitar neck. And I think it's because it's old wood and it's been a neck for 50 years. So there are some things that are, that are great, you know, about old guitars. And yes, there is a nostalgia and we love nostalgia. That's why, you know, you know, there've been these new Star Wars films made and frankly, they're not very good, you know, but we watch them because we hunger for nostalgia. We, you know, and we keep having movies remade and that's because we are just, you know, we are nostalgia monsters and we just consume it like crazy. So there is this aspect of vintage guitars, you know, being nostalgia. It's being like what your hero played. It's old. It's cool. Also, vintage guitars have become kind of a rite of passage or, a, you know, it's like I'm successful. I'm a cool guitar player. I have a vintage guitar. I can't tell you how many musical artists here in Nashville that as soon as they, you know, had a hit or, the, you know, they started doing well, the first thing they did was they went down to Groon or Carter Vintage, and they bought a vintage guitar, and they had their picture taken, and they posted it all over social media. You know, it's a big deal, because that's one of those rite of passages as a guitar player. When you have a hit, and you're successful, you're supposed to buy a vintage guitar, and it's just become like this thing. And uh, it's interesting, you know, that, you know, again, these 50s and 60s Fenders and Gibsons have become like the gold standard. And if you're successful, you have to get one of these things. It's like having a gold ring on your finger or something like that. So it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. Um, you know, on the, on the negative, uh, you know, another thing on the negative side is frankly, old fenders, you know, they don't have very wide necks. You know, they're one in five eights. Some of them were a touch wider, especially like in the black guard era, the they varied like crazy, um, you know, and, and, you know, but, but you tend to have, you know, one in five eights or smaller and, uh, you know, you have this seven and, you know, seven and a quarter radius and then you have little frets and there's nothing wrong with that. But most people want a, a neck that's wider at the nut, you know, more like one eleven sixteenths. They want a flatter radius and they want bigger frets. Why? Because it plays easier. And so, you know, like with this guitar, I love this guitar, but it doesn't play in. And, and I've had uh, Joe Glazer refret it and it's been plucked and it has a great nut on it. It's set up fantastic, but it doesn't play as good you know, as my Danocaster or my Bill Crook. And, and that's just, that's it. And, you know, and then whether it sounds better or not, you know, that's subjective. I mean, that's, that's up to you, you know, the listener or the player. So, I mean, I've had friends of mine, you know, tell me, man, that Danocaster is the best sounding guitar you have. 
And then I have another guy saying, that Bill Crook Paisley, that's the best sounding guitar, best looking guitar that you have. And then another friend of mine said, you need to sell everything because that 67, that is the best sounding guitar that you have. It sounds amazing. So all these different people have chimed in with different opinions. Um, yeah. So again, this is about just kind of walking in with your eyes open as far as, you know, vintage guitars, not trying to bash vintage cause I like vintage, but you know, it is kind of sad with how expensive the guitars have gotten. It's, you know, because it really, they've gone out of the range of being, you know, a player guitars and even what we call player vintage have even gotten really expensive because, you know, when a black guard's 50 grand, uh, you know, even one that's had the body and neck refinished and has missing the original pickups, they're still going to ask like $10,000 for it, which to me, it's like, you know, that's a shell, but, uh, but that's the way the, the market works and you need to be aware of that. And frankly, I think the boutique guys are doing a great job. You know, I think, you know, if you're, you know, there are great guitars coming out of the custom shop. There's great, you know, guitars from Dano Caster, Carson Hess, Nacho, Joe Riggio. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of guys, you know, making, you know, great new guitars. And, uh, you know, and so I hope that if, if, you know, like when my friend called, you know, what I wish he would have said was, I found this vintage guitar that I fell in love with. You know, that's, that's a cooler statement than I just want to buy a vintage guitar. Cause that's one thing when you play some vintage guitar and you just fall in love with it, the way it sounds and the way it plays. And you can, you know, hopefully afford it. I mean, that's a great thing, but I think it's, it's dangerous. And I think we've all gotten into this mindset and I have too, you know, where, you know, vintage guitars are cool and it's cool to own, you know, vintage stuff. So I'll tell you one, you know, kind of last story just to talk about, just to kind of address the fact that vintage guitars are really, um, they really vary a lot. And, uh, you know, you can't just say, Hey, you know, you know, black guards are amazing and they're all, you know, they're all similar or something like that. I, I ran into Vince Gill at uh, Joe Glazer's shop and part of me was like, eh, don't, don't bother him. And, uh, I, you know, I, I have you know met him before and I've interacted with him before, but I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't know me. And, uh, so I was just asking him because he, he adds a second string tree to all of his black guards. And in fact, I have this string tree right here that Joe Glazer, uh, has, you know, started selling and these are like six bucks and I'm just messing around with it. This is not an endorsement. I haven't decided whether I want to keep this or not, but I'm still just kind of messing around with it. But this is a string tree that covers three strings. And so Vince really likes the downward pressure that you get from a second string tree. And so even on his old black guards, he has that added. So I was asking him more about the guitar that he had in the shop at that point was a 51 no caster that the body had been stripped and, and he, he had it. And, uh, and so I was just asking him about, you know, well, what made you buy this guitar? And he said, you know, for years I have been trying to find a guitar like my 53 telly. So his main 53 telly, that kind of white blonde looking guitar with the black pit guard that he's been playing since the early eighties that's his favorite guitar. And so even with Vince Gill's, you know, kind of fame and the amount of money that he has and the amount of pull that he has in the vintage world, he has not been able to find a guitar like that one. And so he's bought a bunch of black guards 
and none of them have the sound and the same kind of feeling neck as his old one. And so this 51 Nocaster was the closest he'd been able to find so far. But I just thought that was um, very, you know, kind of interesting to think about, okay, here's this guy that he has, you know, he has the wherewithal to track something down, but even he can't find it. You know, that, that, that 53 that he has, he can't find another one. And he just wants another one so that if he breaks a string or that he could have one in another tuning. But he has not been able to track, find a guitar that he can just switch easily and then have it where it sounds and feels like his old 53. So, anyway, so that's kind of the, uh, the vintage guitar thing. And uh, I will say about old wood, you know, with, uh, with old... Uh, with acoustic guitars, old wood is there's there's not even a uh, you can't even argue that because you know old acoustic guitars sound so much better than than new ones and I love new acoustic guitars too. I have a you know I have a a Waterloo guitar that that's great, but I mean the old dry acoustic guitars they just sound amazing. So I had a, I had some of you guys say you know we we show at least one lick you know at the end of each episode and so. Uh, here I'm going to show, uh, you know, two of my favorite kind of double string bends. So we're going to do this in the key of B. And so uh, this is one. Okay, and all you're doing is taking this right here, and you're and you're bending it up. And uh, I've just always liked that bend. It's a good double string bend. And you kind of, I tend to start where it's already bent. Or sometimes I, I don't. And then an, another one would be just to, to do a double string bend here. And that's just where you... So you can go... So those are some cool uh, double string bends to, to work on and have fun with. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And uh, yeah, and you'll just think about, you know, yeah, think, you know, before you go blindly out wanting to get a, a vintage guitar, you know, uh, think about it, you know, think about it. And uh, yeah, well, I hope you have a great week and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Ask Zach podcast. If you want to dive deeper, Check out my website, askzack.com, to find more articles and further info on each episode. And remember, it is the support from you, the listener, that keeps the show going. Thank you, friends.